0: Welcome to episode five of the AC show, the podcast which gives betters a glimpse of what life is like for those on the other side of the betting counter. For my fifth episode, I welcome on new co-host, Christian Pina. Christian is a professional better living in Las Vegas that brings an extra level of analysis and perspective to the podcast. I've been looking for a co-host for quite some time now, and Christian fits every part of the bill that I was looking for. I'm thrilled to have him on board, and I hope you enjoy listening to him every week alongside me. Together in this episode, we interview John Campbell of Oddshark. John has been involved in the sports betting media industry for many years, starting out with Covers.com before ending up in his new position of sports analyst at Oddshark. Odd Shark is an amazing website which provides bettors with all the tools they need to handicap games and content to become better bettors. Their professional state-of-the-art studio in Halifax, Nova Scotia produces some of the best betting media in the entire industry. Their strong social media presence is both informative and entertaining for bettors of all levels. John has extensive knowledge of betting markets and connections that run deep through sportsbooks in Las Vegas and beyond. Aside from being awesome at what he does, he is also a great guy and is someone who I really enjoy talking sports with. During this episode, Christian, John, and I go over the upcoming Super Bowl in detail between New England and Atlanta. We break down both the side and total, discuss all sorts of different props, and talk about what it is like to be in Las Vegas for the big game. This conversation is filled with awesome info and is one you'll want to take notes on to make sure your betting card is as strong as it can be come Super Bowl Sunday. I hope you enjoy the talk with John, Christian, and I, and I look forward to talking with all of you after the big game on Sunday. On the phone live with me, I have Johnny Oddshark himself coming from Nova Scotia, Canada. And of course, now with me every week will be Christian Pina coming live from Las Vegas. How's it going, guys?
1: Doing great. How you doing, Adam? How you doing, Christian?
2: Great. Absolutely thrilled to be here and and getting the Super Bowl kicked off. Should be a great week coming up.
0: How fast did that season go? Does it not seem like just a couple of weeks? We we're talking about all the preseason futures and everything like that. And now all of a sudden we have one game left for the next eight months.
1: Yeah, it's it's pretty unbelievable how the football seasons go by because uh, they're so intense. It's, it's, uh, it's a ton of work with college and NFL uh, for those four or five months. And then uh, by the time we get to Super Bowl time, it always feels like it just went by in a blur.
0: So before we get into how much of sort of an anomaly this season was, for everyone listening, we do have johnny odd shark himself on the podcast so just john if you give uh, everyone listening just a little background about what you do uh and what you do over at odd shark
1: yeah i uh i've uh, been at odd shark now for about a year and I, i've been working in the sports betting industry for about 15 years now and uh my title sports analyst there and i uh i report on all things sports betting and uh It's games, it's the industry, it's all kinds of things. I've been working uh, in and around the industry for for a long time now and uh, been a better for a long time too. So I just try to share the things that I've learned in an industry that's changing all the time.
0: Now, an interesting fact was you were with very popular Covers.com for a while prior to Oddshark. And Covers and Oddshark are both located in the same Small city in the Maritimes in Canada, correct?
1: Yeah, yeah, it's pretty crazy. Yeah, I was at Covers uh, prior to being here for for a long time, and uh, yes, yeah, it's, it's pretty interesting that that we've had uh, this sports betting pocket in in uh, in our part of the world.
0: Now, is Odd Shark? Um, I know Covers was very product based and form based. Odd Shark is very high quality content you guys do great videos you're into the facebook live you're into the snapchat is that sort of the the path that you guys are going with odd shark in the future or are there some things that we're not seeing just yet that you guys have in the works
1: well we uh, we started odd shark studios uh shortly after i started uh with the company and uh so we're we're doing a lot of video and a lot of different things there. We're going to be doing a live Super Bowl show on Facebook Live uh, in our studio coming up here, and and we're going to be seeing a lot more of that. Uh, we're working on a few different things and an app, and uh, and we're always working to try to make our, our product better. We our, I love our revamp on our on our matchup pages recently, for example, and um, yeah, it's just it's been really cool. I absolutely love uh, love working here. And and what I'm doing here and and, uh, the company's always working on new things and what we can do next to entice the sports better to come check us out.
0: So this was the first football season in full for you guys. And how did it go for you guys? Or how did you uh, feel it went with all the new content that you guys were putting out?
1: It, it was the first one with uh, the studio and uh, yeah it was good it, um, it's uh, it's a new team so everybody's uh, working together and kind of it was a lot of fun and just like anything new you kind of almost every day you're you're coming up with new ideas and and uh, trying to come up with new stuff that that's gonna be interesting so uh first season i think I think it's just gonna keep getting better
0: You guys had a big Super Bowl or Super Contest bash prior to the season. You guys had the whole Team Odd Shark set up. Did any of you guys finish high in the money or was it just such a crazy year that all the results were a little bit skewed for for all the professionals?
1: Uh, Frank Schwab, uh, was our leader and he had 46 points, uh, covers fantasy for Yahoo sports and, um, he had 46 points. I think the leaders finished with 58 maybe. So, um, so he had a really good season and, uh, and there were a couple others that, that were right in there as well. And it it was just, it was a really tough NFL season. I think, especially early on, there was so much parody and, uh, kind of any ideas that anybody had, uh were, were uh, kind of thrown out the window. I, I know a lot, you know, just going by Twitter and things like that, there are a lot of, um, you know, wise guy type of guys that were couldn't figure it out and were just, you know, I, I, it was... It was crazy. They, the Pats are a team that, as a favorite, just you, you couldn't throw a number high enough at them and they just keep covering it. So it was, I, I love it. I love when sports are changing and it's keeping everybody on their toes because uh, I think it's about uh, finding new information and digging into what's happening. You have to understand both the market and the game. So you have to understand the adjustments that the sports books are making and you have to understand what's happening on the field and in the game. And I, I just love uh, how things are changing all the time, especially with in game wagering.
0: Christian had a very interesting article that he posted a week or two ago about betters failing to adapt this season. Mm -hmm. Can you? I'm curious to get his thoughts now that we've seen the playoffs go by as well. I know there's been some pretty strong consistencies in the teams that are winning in the totals so far this playoffs. Is go a little bit more on that, Christian, if you don't mind, for the listeners who might have not read your article.
2: Absolutely. So this this kind of started in in two parts. One was I wrote up an article uh, that was featured uh, by Johnny Odd on Odd basically saying that the spread in the NFL was dead this season, and what that meant was basically historically it's about eighty one or about seventy eight to eighty one percent of the time where the spread doesn't matter. Spread not mattering meaning when the favorite wins they cover. And when an underdog wins, they obviously win outright. So they the underdog doesn't lose, but also cover the number. This season, it was up at one point close to 90%, which means all you had to do was basically look at every game in, in a pick-em scenario. So in my handicapping and how that kind of changed for me in terms of failing to adapt and when you speak to that, what that means is you have to – all I did is look at each game each week in the NFL season as a straight pick-em. I literally blocked out the number – and pick the winner. And it was very profitable for me. Now, another thing that this did was eliminated teasers. It turned teasers into parlays because once again, with the spread not mattering, you don't need to get the best of the number. Of course, that's always a great tool. And it's something that every better should do going forward and in in everything. But again, in needing to adapt, you would be taking yourself out of some serious money had you not realized this. And I think that you know, professional bettors are very – they're very stuck in their ways. They want to run with what brought them to the dance and and it's hard to go away from what made you successful and made you have a living in a market that is very, very up and down and, and in a world where you don't know one week to the next what's going to happen. If you can't adapt, I just – I I can only hear about professional bettors, you know, doing – not doing well so many times this season before I, I kind of question – you know exactly what it is that they're doing. I just feel like if you can't adapt, how many times are you going to throw money away when the market obviously has not caught up to how bad the Cleveland Browns or the Jacksonville Jaguars are of the world or how obvious the market is that it it hasn't caught up to how good teams like the New England Patriots are. I just I have the similar thought process on sportsbooks when they say that, you know, they're getting killed week after week when they're clearly not setting a number high enough with teams like New England and things like that. So I just on either side of the counter I I I feel like both markets need to adapt a little bit. I just don't have the biggest patience for either side when the answer is clearly right in front of you sometimes.
0: Can an argument be made that if you do start trying to adapt that your vision and prediction ability becomes somewhat skewed because you're almost doubting uh, what you've used to be successful. I know in bookmaking, it was important to stick to those power ratings that you had that stayed true because these win, these winning runs do come in cycles for the players. And at the end of the day, everything falls back. So I can see it from the bookmaking side, but can the argument be made from the player's side that you have to stay true to what you do and believe in your numbers more so than adjusting because adjusting sort of takes into account too much of the emotional aspect and you may be overreacting on a week to week basis?
2: yeah absolutely it's a great question so the my thoughts on that are, are very simple right Professional betters notoriously it, are are egotistical people, right They will throw money away four weeks in a row in order to look smart on the fifth week as the only group of guys that backed a team like the Tennessee Titans or the Cleveland Browns to be able to have that kind of feather in their cap and if if ego is more important to you than money in this business you're you're not going to make it very far and i I I don't mean that, you know, how it comes out in that, you know, they're all macho and and this and that. But it's if you don't adapt, I, I just I can't justify myself giving out, you know, taking those losing tickets in order to look smart. And I really I just think that once you could kind of tell week four, week five, week six, what kind of a season it was, I always say bet on the streak and I, instead of betting against a streak right you can win seven times betting on a streak like New England Patriots and lose once I was on New England the whole season yes every sharp guy wanted to take my sharp card away when I bet them against Seattle but you know what I went 14 and three and they probably went one in 13 betting against them this season because they felt that it was inflated so it, it's kind of a give and take scenario there I think
0: so we're saying that the spread doesn't matter and we get into a game like this Super Bowl which is a standalone contest that really has no relation to the season past in terms of how the line is set and uh, just because of the handle that's going to be so big and we see the Pats open minus three with a total of fifty-eight and a half. what were your initial thoughts when you saw this number John
1: I, I think it's too low I uh I, I was surprised and I, and I think this is in line a little bit with uh with what Christian was saying, and uh, it, you know, I, I I heard a lot of that stuff about the Pats this year, and it's well, you know, look at all these idiots making money. They just they they just take the pads and they keep winning. But to me, those are the smart guys, and uh, you know, it's about it's about winning your bets and. Here we are again, and the Pats are, are minus three. They've got experience. They've got number one scoring defense. They, uh, you know, they they've got Tom Brady, and um, they're only laying three points against a terrible defense. I I, and I don't think the line's going to move. This one surprised me. I think the line should be higher, and uh, I'm just you know going through the process. I mean, I'm trying not to overthink it. I love the Pats. I already took the Pats, and uh, to me, it's 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 one of those. One of those picks where, you know, to me... I'm trying not to get in the way of myself too much and not overthink it. Uh, to me, it's a pretty straightforward pick uh, of the Patriots, and I can live with it. If they don't win and Atlanta goes and beats them, well, to me, that that kind of, you know, I, I still feel like my thinking and my handicapping was okay here. Um, yeah, so that's kind of what I think about the line. I think it should be higher, but I think, you know, I, I've heard so many people and we're still seeing a lot of action on, on Atlanta, and uh, when it comes to the Super Bowl, people love uh, a great
0: offense christian what were your initial thoughts when you saw the number open last week
2: i thought man that's a high total um i understand the you know the public's propensity to to back and over here um in talking with uh some oz makers around town and things like that going back to to last week's championship game the nfc on the nfc side most bookmakers made that number about 56 to 57 um And the thing that you have to realize is the general public doesn't have a stop sign, right? They're going to bet the over in an Atlanta and Green Bay game, whether it's 57, 58, 59, 60. The books probably could have got away with hanging a 64. And granted, it still would have lost and it went flying over. And it's the same situation here with the Super Bowl game. The number is kind of irrelevant to the general public. They're not going to go through key numbers. They're not going to do... The extensive homework that you know the professional handicappers and things like that are go- going to do, and you've seen this number come down. I believe about a point from the professional side that that's taken under the total. Um, and so that's that's kind of my angle here. I mean, you have to remember, I the Falcons are not getting the credit they deserve for h- how great of an offense this is. This truly could be the best offense that we've ever seen. And the thing about that is, up until this point. New England's offense against the Giants was the greatest offense that we have ever seen, but they only put up 14 points in that Super Bowl as well. Um, so those were my thoughts were kind of more total driven. Um, I believe if this was on hung on a Sunday in Week Six, you'd probably see about a 54, 55 and a half um, is what I made the number um, on a neutral. So I just think that the total is a little inflated because sportsbooks know that they can get away with it.
0: Why has there been such disrespect for this Falcons team? Are there every single thing that a public better and a recreational better loves to watch, loves to bet on, high scoring, relentless. Why has there been this disrespect all season and now in such a big game like the Super Bowl?
2: To me, it comes down to a couple things. Um they have the name, talent, the name value in in you know Matt Ryan and Julio Jones, but you have to remember coming into the season there was a huge group of people that did not believe Matt Ryan was the answer in Atlanta. You know, revisionist history is everything, as I always say, but people were very kind of down on Matt Ryan. Um, fantasy football drives a lot of this, um, and they have the names in Julio Jones and Devontae Freeman, but I believe that it was Matt Ryan that was kind of the. I don't say missing link, but the, the question was, could he take the next level? Um, I myself held had an, an Atlanta under ticket. Um, I did not believe in this team, and I did not believe in Matt Ryan, and I, and I was proved dead wrong, as you can see. They came on late, and um, they, they had some struggles in the beginning of the season, um, and I think that... Those you know, people always remember what happened last, and I think that they are hopping on the bandwagon, but it wasn't as as enjoyable as a ride as say the Aaron Rodgers bandwagon was, um, and, and kind of what he did, calling a shot and running the table and things like that. Uh, so I just think that, th- they, like I said, they haven't done it all season. And they kind of burned a lot of people. I believe they were the worst team in the NFL at home against the spread this season. Uh, and as you know, the general public loves taking you know a home favorite. Uh, so they kind of burned the general public a little bit early in the season. I think that that's kind of something that's still in the recreational better's mind.
1: yeah, I think uh, I think it's kind of two reasons and and one uh, it was last year they just weren't a very good football team, and I think coming in with uh, with having a little bit of a rough start. I think that just carried over into this year. And it, it's it's amazing. Um, and, and, and they're so much better, I think, because of kind of one key reason. Last year, as bad as they were, they led the NFL in sustainable drives. So drives of 10 plays or more. And they were one of the worst teams in the red zone. So coming into this year, they were actually a team I had my eye on that if they could just finish those drives, they're kind of on the verge here of being a really good football team. But admittedly, I lost a little bit of faith early on in them. As well, and uh, so I think that's kind of one reason. But when you, excuse me, look at that one factor, I think we can point to something really tangible why they're so much better this year. And the second one for me is that their defense. it's not only that their defense doesn't pass the statistical test, but they just don't pass the eye test. When you're watching them, these guys are just so beatable in in uh, in the linebacker, you know, among the linebackers and the secondary, and that's what has me really worried here about them um, against uh, Brady on this offense. So, that, that's what it is uh, for me, but this offense is just, it's, it is so efficient and incredible and, and really fun to watch. So, so, they definitely have made believers out of me, but they're just going against for me a, a really tough Pats team here. What do you think, Adam?
0: John, you mentioned, well, I've I've got another question for you while we're on this topic. Sure. You mentioned uh you mentioned the number one that stands out a lot to me, and that number one is the Pats scoring defense and going against this efficient offense. My question is that number one does stand out and I think a lot of people are taking it a certain way, but my question is since that Seattle game Colin Kaepernick, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Jared Goff, Joe Flacco, Trevor Simeon, Bryce Petty, Matt Moore, and Brock Osweiler. I know you can't control your schedule and you can't dictate who you play, but how truthful is that number one? Because if you remember just a couple weeks ago, there was a Houston defense that was rated number one that looked pretty bad against New England. Is this another case of that or is this defense... Better than most people think, and do they have a chance against this Falcons offense that's so good?
1: I, I think it is better than most people think, and uh, just like Atlanta won me over this Pats defense. Excuse me, won me over as well. And uh, I, I went to see the Pats play against Buffalo in uh, in week four. And what a waste of money that was um, because that was one where they lost 16 uh, nothing, And their defense, I came away from that saying this defense is just awful up the middle of the field. Like I, if I were... If I were Buffalo, I wouldn't have passed a single play because everything they ran up, up the middle of the field or around the middle of the field was, was going for eight yards or more. I feel like they've cleaned that up, and uh, and they just play really good team defense. It's They buy into their job, and, uh, and they do what needs to be done. I think the secondary has gotten a lot better and kind of done a good job of, of filling in some weaknesses where – that exists in the linebacking core there, but uh, but yeah, I, I know it's been a weaker schedule, but they're still winning and they're still covering like crazy. And uh, you know, I think I think Atlanta's going to score some, but I think they will get some stops. Yes. Is
0: the is the game plan here arguably the same as it always is for the Pats, where they eliminate what a team does best on defense, and they've historically succeeded when taking this approach, and that's kind of the Belichick fashion if they take away julio which obviously is atlanta's best does atlanta not still have so many different weapons that new england's i don't know if they have a way if they respect julio as much as they have to do they have a way to contain all of these other guys
1: well i think atlanta's still going to get their yards and and i don't know that you can you can contain julio jones anyway and i and i read this week that he is uh Uh, of all the receivers to ever play in the super bowl he leads in yards per game um all time so i don't know that you're gonna fully limit him but again it's it's uh i they kind of tighten up they're they're a bend but don't break uh defense a little bit and they they're real tough in the red zone so i I do think atlanta's gonna get their yards but uh they're, they're gonna find that um that the Pats kind of come up big when, when they need to most. So, but it's going to be, it's going to be really interesting. I do have a lot of spe- a lot of respect for this Atlanta, uh, this Atlanta offense. They've been, They've been amazing I do think a little too much is being read into their win last week against the Packers uh, that was a really banged up Packers team on defense and offense and uh, the second worst defense in the playoffs and uh, I just I'm not going by last week's game at all I think they they were fortunate to run into a really banged up Green Bay team
0: offensively for New England I, everyone's got to focus on Brady but for me for them to succeed in this game, they're going to have to get a lot of help from their possession guys and work this clock. You guys see it going any other way? There's no way they try to go toe to toe with Atlanta on offense with the guys that they have. Surely they try to shorten this game and make the most of their possessions and then make Atlanta basically play flawless on offense. Do you see this going any other way, you guys?
2: Um, Yeah. Just, so just to speak to kind of what uh, John was bringing up really quick, uh, a couple of different things. So, by definition, New England covering the spread, you know, you talked about their, their week schedule and obviously they can't control that, right? But, but the fact that they're covering numbers by definition by at such a good margin means what? It means that they're exceeding expectations. It means they're outperforming. If they're supposed to win a game by say 16 against Houston and they win by 18 or they're favored by seven and they win by 14. By definition, that means that they are outperforming what they're expected to do. They're covering the number in in by sizable numbers that we have not seen in, in a very long time. I believe it's like thirteen point three that their their average covering margin is this season. So yes, they have a weak schedule, but they are also outperforming the market and they're beating teams by more than they are supposed to. So I I, I get the the argument, um, but Pittsburgh's schedule uh, was was just as weak. I mean, if you go down the line since week eleven uh, and the quarterbacks that they played. I mean, it was Cody Kessler, Scott Tolzien, uh, Eli Tyrod, uh, You know Flacco and then another Browns team. So Pittsburgh, you know that argument came up a lot during the Pittsburgh game. Of you know New England hasn't played anybody. This is the best quarterback that they've they've seen as well. Um, But but it it goes in both situations. And again, New England is is outperforming the market, which means they're outperforming expectations. The next thing about regarding Julio Jones, uh, twice two things about that. One is I would kind of compare that to the Philadelphia Super Bowl with New England. Uh, Terrell Owens on one leg absolutely torched the Patriots, and they still came away victorious. So I do think it's fully plausible that Julio Jones has his, you know, he he's going to get his. I'm hearing from New England sources that basically their plan is to put Rowe uh, one on Eric Rowe one on one on Julio, and then put uh, Malcolm Butler on Sanu and have McCordy roll over the top of Julio and, and kind of double him in the way that they did with Brown, just using Rowe because he's a bigger physical cornerback. Um, on the offensive side of the ball with New England, uh, I I agree with you, Adam. I mean. Atlanta's defense is giving up 4.5 yards per rush. Obviously, New England's schematically, it it doesn't lend itself to just Garrett Blunt running up the middle. They're going to use every piece of this offense, and they're going to use it well. I don't think that this game – I think that Chris Hogan is kind of going to be the game breaker that he's kind of come into that role as. Uh, but everything else should be played kind of five to seven yards down the field, with everything over the middle to Edelman and Bennett and things like that, and Lewis out of the backfield. Every time that there is a huge weakness, Bill Belichick kind of finds a way schematically to not really exploit that and go the other way because that's what everybody expects. Everybody expects LeGarrette Blount to have twenty-two carries for you know hundred and ten yards, and and it never works out that way. Uh, you know. In Houston, that was kind of – people thought that might – you can't run with LeGarrette Blunt and he had two carries. So whatever you think is going to happen, you kind of just have to go the opposite way with with the kind of game plan scenario.
0: John, do you have any bet splits from any of the books that you're in touch with on a regular basis through media on in terms of how many tickets and the percentage that's going one way or the other on these side?
1: Yeah, I'm hearing between 60 and 70% on the Pats uh so far. And uh, and we've seen some move the juice a little bit uh, on on the paths, but but that's about it. And when I saw this line come out. At I, three, I, I really thought it wasn't going to move. We might see three and a half, uh, a little bit, but that's a number to me. And I'm kind of interested to hear your perspective, uh, just with your experience being on the other side of the counter with this Adam. Where that was a number to me, where it's three for a Super Bowl. It's on a key number. You don't see a lot of that for a Super Bowl. Is that one to me? I was thinking that the book is saying, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna take three. We know the public's going to come in on the Pats because of, uh, I mean, the Pats cover one more game, and they're going to tie the 89-49ers as the best NFL bet of all time. They're, so they got to know that the public is, isn't is going to ignore that, and uh, with a number that's as low as three, to me, I feel like the books are are, are saying there, you know what, we're comfortable taking Atlanta plus three, we're going to get sided on it, but, but we'll, we'll take our chances here. I don't know. What, what do you think about that?
0: Well, the thing to remember about the Super Bowl where the handle is so outrageous and there's no other games to tie into with parlays or teasers or anything, everything, the straight bet handle goes much higher than a typical game any other time during the season. So when you see like a 55-45, which on a Sunday, I say 55-45 in terms of split, when you see that on a Super Bowl, that gets magnified a 100 times over. All of a sudden that 5% difference becomes massive. When you're talking about 60, 70, that's a absolutely huge, huge liability for the sports books that they seem sort of willing to create. But the, when you say there's not many to go on three, I think the reason for that is because for the most part, a lot of that recreational money is going to be buying New England to three and a half. And a lot of people if they like or sorry, they'll take Atlanta to three and a half and New England down to two and a half. So if this game does fall on three there's going to be a lot of people cashing tickets on either side, which is a huge risk. And when you're setting yourself up for that push in that worst-case scenario, that becomes uh something that sits in the back of your mind when you're watching this game on Sunday as a bookmaker, knowing that if New England does get that three-point win, which, I mean, for me is a highly likely outcome, you can get burned a couple different ways. So I think it's interesting that they were willing to – not take a side on either way of the three. I mean, if, you, if you're willing to take this big of a risk with Atlanta and have this big of a liability going into the game, why not put it two and a half and avoid any of those circumstances happening?
1: yeah i I thought the same thing that's that's one of the things that that surprised me and this this is gonna be i think a bit of a scary one for uh for the books it's uh it's it's really interesting given how
0: bad the season's going I have to wonder how much pressure there was on them to sort of have this big finish yeah. Yeah. to the season i know especially with um a lot of the corporate books they're not allowed to take those big chances but i mean to me this seems like a pretty big and almost too obvious of a liability for them to set up. So, I mean, if you're going to make it this open, a lot of people somewhere with a lot of influence in these markets, I think it's pretty clear that they're siding with Atlanta in this one.
1: Yeah, I, I think so too, and that's really the only thing that's uh, that's stopping me from putting even more money on the Pats is uh, just their comfort level to take liability here, and obviously, really liking uh, the Falcons. So, uh, so yeah, that's great perspective. You know, I think I think those are things that the recreational better doesn't quite think about enough, and and the books perspective, and they're they're usually just focused on on the game. So that's that's awesome insight, I think, for this game.
2: You also, th- the one more thing to, to remember is the Super Bowl as a, as a unique standalone game. You know, what's different about it, right? Well, it's probably one of, you know, if outside of London and the game in Mexico City, it's the only game all year that's played on a neutral field. So you're getting kind of the discount with New England. I mean, that number at, in Foxborough, I make New England about a four point uh, home field advantage in, in my power, stuff like that. So this game, if it was played in Foxborough, you would see that number on. The key number of six and a half to seven and then kind of letting the market take them, I think the other way as well. So, you know, that number does look short with what New England's done, but you have to admit or you have to take into account the fact that it is on a neutral field as well, which is why you're getting that kind of discount there on that key number, I think
0: and the neutral field factor gets overlooked a lot like and you're talking about Atlanta who obviously has a huge home field advantage specifically this year with this team playing on that fast surface we've seen what they do to teams and then of course no adva- no home field advantage is bigger than Foxborough. so this is a number that y- you wouldn't have seen it had this game been in Atlanta had it been in New England and a lot of people really uh sort of get worked up on that one way or another and sort of overreact to what it is which is um Pretty interesting to think when when you see this number the way it is right now.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, like I said, outside of the two London games and the game with uh, Houston and Oakland that was played uh, in Mexico City, it's the only neutral game that you're going to see all season. So, you know, as a as a a better in a handicapper, you know, I looked at this number and I said, wait, three. And then, you know, you have to kind of jog your memory as, as someone that's, you know, as seasoned as I like to think that I am, you, you take a second look and realize, you know, why is this number what it is? And it's because you have to subtract the three to four points for the home, the home field that New England's getting or not getting as well as Atlanta as well.
0: So John, you're going with the Pats. Christian, it sounds like you're leaning to the under. Is there... Any any disputes with that?
1: Yeah, I was going to say, I really like the under as well. I think this total is too high. Highest one we've ever seen for a Super Bowl, and uh, I get it. I get why the number is that high. I absolutely loved the over last week in that Falcons-Packers game, but I, I think this one's going under as well. So I agree with you, Christian, on that one too.
2: Uh, no, I lean uh, first half under as well. Uh, when you look at the Green Bay Atlanta game, that game went sailing over the total, uh, but the first half under cashed pretty easily. Um, so that's an angle that I will be uh, I will have as well, uh, just to kind of back myself up. We'll be first half under as well as full game under, um, and I've already laid uh, Pats minus two and a half minus one thirty, uh, which is widely available out here in the desert. So I, I understand the, the point spread doesn't matter, and that's something that I've been I've been harping on all season. But it's worth it to have that that kind of peace of mind if New England is your side to just take the best of the number and, and lay you know, the 15 cents juice to not have to worry about it, I think.
0: Before we get into the props, one strange correlation that came in my head when, when this came up, and I'm, I'm not a big college football guy. Um, I haven't since about 2011 when everything changed where I was working, but that's a story for another time. Oregon-Auburn National Championship six years ago. Two high-scoring offenses, two very public teams coming to the National Championship. The total was like 70 something ridiculous super high total everyone went over and then what did that game finish like 21 19 with a couple late scores something about that game seems eerily similar in the terms of the way that the market is shaping up to this super bowl this year
2: i take it back to the giants patriots super bowl again it was 17 14 with the best offense that we had ever seen in the world at that time with new england uh with with that randy moss and and tom brady connection um so i these like i said it's a it 's been a weird year, and you can 't set numbers high enough, especially in that green bay atlanta game uh but but again, I would look towards towards the under and the first half under in this as well I think it 's going to be very similar there 's going to be a feeling out process, uh, which is why i I really like the first half under um and to go kind of look that route as well it's just it's hard to to get in front of this Atlanta freight train right now, but it was also hard uh, to get in front of that New England freight train uh, when they play the Giants in the Super Bowl. I just think that they're kind of the same situation. The recipe is kind of the same.
1: Yeah, I think, too, the, the total – I think I think uh, for a long time, books could could predict a little bit the public action – uh liking the favorite but i really think that's changed like i think the public for for a super bowl has no problem taking the underdog and also especially on the money line because they they want that that bigger payout for one game but i do think y- y- the- they can depend a little bit more on the overaction in such a public game because people don't bet very often, don't want to come into a big game and then cheer for a lower-scoring game. So I do think we see a little bit of inflation on the total because of that public factor, and it is such a public game.
2: Adam, you as an odds maker, what did you make this total out of curiosity? Or what would you have made it at?
0: I would have, well, I mean, I would have taken a risk with the over. I would have been okay knowing that if I was too high, I would have had that money on the under to offset some of the money that was coming on the over. So, I mean, I know you said 5455 which I think that it honestly finishes in the high 40s, but I would have been okay setting this at something ridiculous like a 60 just to get that under money cuz I know whatever I set it at could not have been high enough to get equal money coming in on this total. So I would have been okay having those couple big bets on the other to balance out what what came in the next 13, 14 days leading up to the game. Gotcha. Now, it wouldn't be a Super Bowl without props. And there's nothing that made my life more um, uncomfortable than the Monday to Thursday after the championship games where I had to sit on the computer for God knows how many hours punching in all of the game numbers and all of the props and double and triple checking to make sure that I didn't put the wrong color Gatorade at the wrong odds to have a huge liability that I couldn't avoid, and we used dGs software, so you had to put the separate game number for each single prop, so it showed up on the website and i I absolutely hated it. I get the the joy it brings to the recreational betters um there's probably more props this year than there's ever been before uh Christian, I know you love your props. John, obviously, you're always posting great stuff on Twitter at um, Johnny Shark about different props and different offerings that books have. Are there any props that stand out to either of you heading into this game?
2: Um, so just out of curiosity, Adam, when you said that you were making props that were kind of not able to track on the, the score sheet of the box score, did you shade anything or was there, quote unquote, professional or sharp information that you kind of got – uh, on that side of the counter on terms of stuff that you couldn't you know correlate to a box score in terms of the national anthem over under or gatorade or, or anything like that before we kind of dive into that
0: when i was working for a sure win they were a very react- recreational shop in the bahamas and they had a lot of players who came in for fun uh my time with paradise games was dealing with a little more of the more professional players the guys betting a lot more money um so when i was with paradise games we didn't offer a lot of that. And if we did, we basically mirrored it off other people because there just wasn't enough time in the day to handicap the national anthem and go back and watch past performances and stuff like that. So we, for those, it was definitely just sort of a, a copying effort and we never had that huge liability. But when I went to a sure win and in 2013, 2012, those Super Bowls were kind of an eye opener for me because the amount of money that people, it wasn't so much the money, but it was just the response that some of these props got. And the, it just blew my mind that people were interested in doing this, but we had to be extremely careful. And we, every single time we had a notice that the rules were posted because we would get so many of this disputes on just the most ridiculous props just because there's so many to put in I mean people don't think about it but after this game is done whoever's on the other side of the counter has to go through if they have a thousand props they have to grade a thousand props too so I mean when you have people lining up at the counter who have been waiting there for four hours watching the game had a few beers in them there's a lot of pressure to go in and grade these as they come in so I mean in terms of getting the information, it was extremely important, but luckily we had the rules there that sort of bailed us out in those terms where it was a little bit vague. But as far as getting any sort of uh, special information, um unless it came out that was fairly public, we weren't definitely going out of our way to find out certain things about uh, how people were singing the national anthem or what color Gatorade they had in the jug or who the MVP was most likely to thank. It's just kind of, you add your margin into those prices and you sort of take what you can get and, and hope for the best.
2: Right. And you had very low limits on that type of stuff as well, right?
0: It was, I mean, the biggest bets we were taking on some of these props were no more than 500 bucks. I'm not sure what the case in Vegas is, but I wouldn't imagine that it's much higher for some of these crazy, Third, fourth, fifth level markets that that they have listed.
2: Well, in terms of uh, in, inside Vegas, everything, every prop that's offered uh, in most, you know. Regular sports books have to be able to be correlated by the box score, so you can't even bet that stuff uh, inside Vegas. You have to go to the offshore market for the national anthem, the Gator, the, na- the national anthem might be able to be to be bet out here in in some shops, um, but that stuff's kind of off the books in terms of sports books in Vegas. Um, that stuff's all mostly offshore now.
0: No, and I don't blame him because, like, if you were doing that, I mean, I could just picture a Vegas sports book with a hundred people lined up debating if it was two minutes and 37 seconds or two minutes and 39 seconds for a total that was two minutes and 38. So
2: exactly. I mean, if
0: if they're willing to take that risk, good for them. But luckily we kind of had the shield of the online website to protect us in cases like that, where we could just defer to the rules. There, there are there any
1: uh, props that stand out that were a particular headache for you, Adam, uh, in terms of result that caused some controversy over the years?
0: There was not one specific one that st- that stood out, but it was just the process of opening them and grading them and making sure everything was correct. And there was nothing that just irked me more than having the the sides on the game set up nicely for you, and then you have the total working nice, and you have all the money there. But then there's some guy that comes through, and he puts, but he spreads out a bunch of five hundred dollar bets that. Long odds on different ones, and then all of a sudden you have a twenty thirty thousand dollar payout on something ridiculous <laughs> that screws up everything else that you you didn't really notice you had because you have the sheet um in the lines manager program and you have a thousand different props, and you get the alert on your phone that oh there's a, a bet that's come in, and you go and you look and it's something absolutely absurd that ridiculous odds and you're just praying the whole game that that doesn't come through and then sure enough it does and then you have to go take care of it afterward it was just the props were an absolute headache and i get why they're why they're offered and i get the competition between other sports books for it but i mean for me it just makes me roll my eyes at, at all the stuff that i had to deal with in the couple years i was doing it
2: Yeah, I can only imagine, man.
0: Is there something that stands out for you guys in terms of maybe not the crazy props, which I mean, if there's one that stands out, feel free to bring it up. But is there anything um, in any of the the stronger prop markets, uh, player markets that stands out to either of you?
2: Yeah, both completions uh, going over to me is is the first one that I looked at and trying to get the best of the number before these are attacked. Um, one that is notoriously uh, on the sharp side and professional, this this and every Super Bowl, as it's never happened before, is will the Super Bowl go to overtime? Uh, it's never happened. I mean, you have to lay it. It's minus 800, um, but it's it's never come in. And, and it is a notoriously professional and sharp bet because the the betting public is not going to lay $8 to win a dollar or 800 dollars to win one. Um, but the professional uh, handicappers with the bigger bankroll have absolutely no problem doing that. Uh so that's one that that's always on the professional side. Um I've gone over both completions uh already. Like I said, Tom Brady is at uh 24 and a half, as well as Matt Ryan. Um the over is juice to minus 130 on both sides. Um, those are some that I've already done. Um The yardage, I kind of want to stay away from because I, again, as I said, I think this is going to be a lot less low scoring than people think. Um, I think the second half will be more scoring or a higher scoring half than the first half is another prop that's out there. Um, and one other one that I've already gotten down on is will an extra point be missed in the Super Uh, no is minus 200. So those are some that I've already gotten in on as well. Um, and again, it's there's not enough hours in the day to go over all of these. You kind of have to, you know, sit down with whoever you're getting with, any groups, any any syndicates, any things like that. And and I would really recommend that if you are coming in town for the Super Bowl, you know, most people are coming in with a group. I would there's too much to go over on your own in a sports book with, you know, the sheet and the pen by yourself. Take them home, take them back to your hotel or go sit in the sports book kind of with a group of people and put your heads together because they can be very profitable if you take the the approach of business instead of, you know, what color the Gatorade was. Nobody likes the degenerate side of things more than me, but this is a business after all in the long run and if you can kind of look at this the right way, there there's definitely money to be made within this market.
0: John, yeah. anything stand out to you?
1: Yeah, I I, I really like uh, over completions as well for Brady. Uh, I'm I'm a, I'm not as big on it for Ryan just because I think the Pats might be able to control the clock a little bit better against this defense on offense uh, when when they're on offense. And, uh, and I think this defense might get some stops, so I'm a little worried about the over-completions and over-yards for, for Ryan there, but I do like over-completions uh, for Brady, and I like over-yards uh, for him as well. Uh, I think it's at 305.5. Only two of his Super Bowls, I believe, have been over um, 300 yards, but I think he's going to have another one here. Um, So so I like those for sure. In terms of the fun ones, uh, the anthem is always uh, a really controversial one that I always end up doing some interviews over. Um, When that happens last year, it was controversial again with Lady Gaga repeating the last line and and some books graded it over, some books graded it under, some books paid out everybody. Uh, just so that they didn't have to deal with the headache and and just took it on the chin. So uh, this year it's Luke Bryan. This is one of the more fun ones, and uh, it's 2 minutes, 15 seconds. He sang it in 2 minutes and 3 seconds at the 2012 MLB All-Star Game. And uh, I think this one's going under, and it's been under uh, 7 out of the last 10 years. And I think this is one they make a little bit generous because I think this one gets so much publicity that – Kind of my conspiracy theory here is that some books really use it as an enticer for new betters to sign up and uh and make an easy pick and make some easy money. The limits are low. So uh that's uh that's my tip on the anthem one if you're looking for uh to play some some entertainment type of props.
0: It makes my head hurt just thinking about that. <laughs> um one that stood out to me, I'm curious to get your thoughts. Mohammed to scored a touchdown plus one fifty. Is that not awfully high?
2: Um, it is high, but I mean, the dick, the, the coverage is kind of going to, he's going to be one-on-one. Um, and Butler has, he struggles with the bigger receivers, which is why I believe that he's not going to be on Julio Jones. You know, someone like Antonio Brown is, is in Butler's wheelhouse. Someone like Sanu is, is kind of a different game. Um, I like I like that prop a lot to take a stab at, especially at plus money, um, and, and to kind of even take that out further, Mohamed Sanu to score the first touchdown um, is going to be even more plus money. Let me see if I could bring that one up right now. Uh, he's 25 to one, um, or I'm sorry, 14 to one for the first touchdown. So you can kind of take your shots here. And the nice thing about, you know, the first touchdown prop is, is you is for a recreational better is you can kind of pick out three, four, even five guys. And is if one of them hits, you're going to be plus money. Um, but yeah, I definitely like that one as well.
0: Is there any value in either the tight ends for Atlanta to score a touchdown, considering, like you mentioned, the coverage that's going to be tough on them?
2: The thing with Atlanta is they don't use them. Um, I think there's some value in Martellus Bennett on the New England side. As, as much as he's been kind of a non-factor and kind of, I don't want to say phased out, but Chris Hogan has kind of taken over. You know what the deep seam routes and stuff that Gronkowski used to run that everyone thought that Bennett would run. Um, So I would look to the other side of tight ends. Uh, Atlanta just doesn't use them as much. Um, With their wide receivers and their running backs out of the backfield, there's just not much of a need for them.
0: And then Vic Beasley to record a sack. Um, Minus 160. That almost seems low to me. I would have made it closer to 200.
2: Uh, With that one, I mean, it's it's one player. So it's... uh, I'm not a big fan of of the def- defensive props on that side of the uh, ball. Um, it's just a little bit too juicy for me, so I'll be laying off that one. I like. Uh,
1: I, I do like under sacks, and uh, here in this one, I think um, Atlanta's all Atlanta really has on defense is the defensive line, and that's how they get their pressure. And when they can, that's how when they have their best games, you get pressure on the quarterback, and it makes the rest of the defense look a lot better. So. I think the Pats have the most underestimated offensive line in the NFL. So I think that is kind of going to negate that a little bit. And uh, on the other side, Atlanta, their offensive line has been incredible all season. The only one that's been healthy uh, all season and still intact. So I think we're going to see fewer sacks than what's being predicted in this game too.
2: One kind of degenerate prop that I do like is LeGarrette blunt over under first rushing attempt, three and a half. I like over at plus plus one ten. Um, you know, once everyone comes out, you know, adrenaline is coming, adrenaline's flowing, especially if New England gets the ball first. Um, as I said, Atlanta giving up four and a half yards per carry. Um, I do like uh, first rush over three and a half at plus 110 for LeGarrette Blunt. When, you know, hopefully he does come out and actually start the game um so you can kind of get that that burst that adrenaline um to go over three and a half but that's kind of my degenerate one that i do love um i played this with uh russell wilson in his super bowl his first rushing attempt was over under four and a half and that one cashed i like the things that come out early um not just from a a degenerate side but I, i think that adrenaline and you know having the juices flowing being in the super bowl does play a part in it and i think that the talent wins out once it's accompanied by kind of the adrenaline and things like that. So I think that the first rush should go over three and a half by Blunt.
0: Is there any other better degenerate prop than the longest field goal over for the game prop that you have a (laughs) chance to win on every single drive throughout the course of the game? And perhaps the argument can actually be made that there's no better game for that bet to be made than in the Super Bowl where at the end of, especially the, the end of the game, obviously, but also the end of the first half, where points are so sought after and at a premium that you're going to get these teams doing whatever it takes to get inside that field goal range at 46 and a half. I mean, if you're looking to have some fun during the game, that might be the best degenerate prop that you can go to. Cause like I said, if it doesn't hit her, I mean, you have that chance to hit every single drive throughout the game. So if you're looking for something to keep you invested in the entire game, all the way through, that might be the way to go.
1: Yeah. That's a fun one, uh, as well. And another one, another kind of long shot I was looking at, uh, Christian mentioned Martellus Bennett, um, and I I do like him to go over 35 and a half yards uh, receiving. And I think a quarterback's going to win MVP. uh, Brady's plus 150 or plus 160, I think, depending on where you look. And Ryan's plus 250. But in terms of long shots for MVP, uh, Bennett is one I have my eye on. Uh, he's 50-1. to one. And I know he's got that ankle injury, but uh, with two weeks off here, and I think Brady loves to go to the tight ends, um, that, might be, uh, that might be one worth looking at.
0: So before we wrap this one up, what do you guys have planned for the big game? Christian, you're in Vegas. Do you have any spots you'd like to go to or any big plans?
2: Yeah, there is there is no shortage of options uh, for anyone that's making the trip out to the desert for the Super Bowl. Everybody has a. There's all kinds of things. There's paid parties. There's free parties. Viewing parties. Um, my kind of go-to, just because it's in my backyard, is is the South Point Casino. Um, they have a free viewing party. It's kind of ballroom style, food and everything like that. But I would all you gotta do is go to Vegas.com. Um, type in Super Bowl and you're gonna get everything. There is everything from. Um, regular viewing parties to strip club viewing parties with dollar lap dances at halftime to anything that your heart desires. A, you know, Vegas is whatever you want, you can get. So uh, I'll kind of be uh, making my way around town. I think I'm going to kind of check out a, a bunch of different things um, rather than staying in one spot. I'll probably do the first half um, at the South Point Casino and then uh, a little bit before halftime, I'll take off and go kind of do the strip thing for, uh, for after the uh, for second half and after the game.
0: I heard it's comparable to New Year's in Vegas. Is that true? Uh
2: no, that's yes and no. So the atmosphere is inside sports books and casinos is comparable to New Year's, but New Year's in Vegas is comparable I would say to New York and Times Square I mean the strip is shut down for traffic so people are, are in the streets and things like that um, that obviously isn't going to happen for the Super Bowl but in terms of the atmosphere you know it's very party like it's very festive I, I guess is the right word um, but inside I would say yes but outside it, it's kind of like any other day but it, it is an awesome experience if you've never done it I, I highly recommend it um, and again it's, it's very affordable most places are about $100 to $150 and most of those We'll give you uh, free drinks and an open bar and uh, we'll give you a, a buffet style as well. So there is no shortage of options inside Las Vegas for the Super Bowl. Yeah, John, what are your plans?
1: Um, I, I, we're uh, we're gonna be busy. Actually, we're doing a Super Bowl live show at eleven thirty Eastern, so you can check that out uh, on our Facebook page. And uh, I think we're gonna have a live show at the half. Um, just five minutes, probably taking a look at the uh, the in game lines there, and then uh, and then I think we're gonna have a quick show uh, after as well, just going over some of the the big props. Um, so it's gonna be a busy uh, workday for me, but should be fun and uh, certainly one of my, my my best Super Bowl and definitely my most memorable, even though I lost it and it was one of my worst beats was uh, two years ago, the, uh, the Pats, um, Pats and Seahawks game. We we're at, uh, we we're at the Westgate, uh, there. Um, and, uh, Jay Cornegy set us up and, uh, just a, a, unbelievable atmosphere, and uh, I, I've been to March Madness several times before in Las Vegas, but I hadn't been there for the Super Bowl. And um, when I was when I was younger, March Madness was was awesome, and it's, and it's incredible. It's busier, but it's a bit of a younger crowd. To me, I thought it was a bit of a it's a bit of a more Party crowd, a drunker crowd, let's say uh, for March Madness. So that that was fun for me when I was in my twenties, um, going to Vegas. But now uh, it, I find Super Bowl is a little bit of an older crowd, um, which is nice, and it's not quite as busy um, as as say March Madness. But the atmosphere is just—I mean, it, it is the best place. If, if somebody offered me Super Bowl tickets to the game or uh, Vegas, I, I mean. I'd have a tough time. I think my pick is Vegas. I think it's just more.
2: Oh, it's Vegas every day of the week if if you're giving me that scenario.
0: Well, it's going to be my first Super Bowl, not somewhere warm and not somewhere entertaining. I think I'm just going to be at the house. And it's also the first Super Bowl that I can remember where I've had a significant future with a chance to cash in. So this one's going to be a little bit more about the game than it is about the the drinks and the food for me this year. Yeah, um, awesome, but
1: awesome call there too, Adam, you wrote a, a great piece on, uh, taking the Falcons and I followed your advice as well. Uh, uh, right before the playoffs um, you can get them I think between nine and 11 to one at, at most books and and uh, what a great call and I how would you recommend I know you wrote a piece on this also but how, how would you suggest playing that if you do have a let's say a pre playoff futures on Atlanta coming into this game
0: I'm all about removing liability and I think that that's sort of a strategy that gets tossed away because I know people are very black and white on whether they want to hedge or not and there's kind of sort of two threads of thought and it's either yes you do it or no it devalues it too much. I, for me, I found that that number was outrageously high considering that they didn't even have to play the first week. I got it just before the New Orleans game in week 17 and I got it at 10 to 1 and all they had to do was win at home as a seven-point favorite against New Orleans in Week 17, in a game which New Orleans didn't care to be in. And then they got the buy in the next week. Before they even took the field again, they were down to 5-1. to So, I mean, that shows how inflated that line was. And then, of course, with Dallas losing, that was a big break for them, so they get the extra home game. But, I mean, if you find the spot in the futures market where you're taking advantage of a price that's wrong – there's no reason to have any risk in it. You don't have to throw away all of your potential payout by hedging out, but why not go, I bet against Green Bay, or I bet against Atlanta last week with Green Bay, um, and I got it for very cheap. Green Bay was plus 195. So, I mean, I only increased my potential liability by about 6%, but now I can go in with New England. Again, it's not an expensive price. Minus 145 is the money line I got. And I'm clear of my liability, and I still have a chance to win 75% of my original potential payout on the Falcons. And I can watch the game risk-free. So, I mean, there's no downside to me anymore. And I would highly suggest that if anyone does have that Atlanta future, if you bet it preseason when you got 75 80 to one and you just have that small uh, liability to get that payout, then go ahead and r- r- eliminate it for, what, 2 3%? um of of your potential payout but i mean if you got it before the playoffs you're still getting at least 70 percent of your potential payout so if you don't need the risk in the game there's no reason to have it in my mind
2: also uh you you know you talked about um kind of the the disrespect the public kind of showed atlanta i grabbed atlanta at plus 600 about five minutes before their kickoff with green bay um to win the super bowl so i know you talked about how inflated that line was but it 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 was inflated up until kickoff of green Bay. Um, I think a lot of that had to do with public perception of Aaron Rodgers. Uh, but you talked about how beat, how beat up they were as well. So Atlanta is a team that continued to get, you know, kind of disrespected in the betting market. Um, but if you can kind of pick those spots off, it's, it can be
0: highly profitable for you as well. Absolutely. Nope. And that's, I think that's six to one and then 10 to one pride in New Orleans are two of the all timers for this season anyway, in terms of best bets that could have been made. well, I hope that the game brings as much profit as it can to everyone listening. And then of course, John, thanks for coming on board for an hour here, taking it out of your Saturday. I know you're, you're saying your kids were at practice. So I appreciate stepping out and hopefully, uh, the week cleaning up to it is easy going. And then your big Sunday, uh, at Odd Shark and the Odd Shark headquarters over in Halifax goes as good as it can. Who's on the show, by the way, for Facebook live? Is it just the guys I'm from there? Or do you have anyone else coming on?
1: Yeah, it's gonna be. It, yeah, uh, we have a segment with Clay Travis actually. Uh, it'll be uh, it'll be Andrew Avery. Uh, we call him Ninja. So it'll be Ninja and I. Uh, and a segment with uh, Clay will uh, have pre-produced and um, yeah, a few other segments. Just just trying to help everyone out with their Super Bowl bets.
0: And everyone can watch that by going to Odd Shark on Facebook, and then yeah. of course there's Odd Shark on Twitter at odd shark. And then you are at Johnny odd shark. Is there anything else I'm missing?
1: No, that's great. Thanks, man. No, appreciate you having me. That was a lot of fun. And, uh, and uh, yeah, I like the way we're headed here, heading into Super Bowl Sunday.
0: I hope we can do this again prior to March madness and start talking a little bit about basketball. It's not my forte, but I'm sure you're going to have great information as always to bring on. And then of course, joining Christian down in Las Vegas, coming on the show, everything uh, should be filled with a, a ton of great info. Come March.
1: For sure. Yeah, I'd love to, guys. Thanks.
0: Awesome. Thanks for coming on.